While our intentions for the care of our loved ones are generally heartfelt and sincere, many of us don't consider the topic of aging until either we're in the middle of the situation or are faced with decisions that need to be made in the best interest of those we love. There are countless families, including mine, who had to consider the various aspects of caregiving. My guest Lorraine Morales asks, what if we were proactive and had pre-planned for our loved one's quality of life in their later years, or even if we had some help for ourselves? Next on this episode of the Executor Help Podcast. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Eady. I am so fortunate today. My guest is Lori Morales. She's the author of We Can Do This, Adult Children and Aging Parents Planning for Success. Lori, thanks for taking the time to be here on the Executor Help Podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, what made me think about having you on the show is it your book sort of spoke to me in terms of the the subject, having gone through what I went through with my parents. And I, in, in your case, and what made your story interesting to me was that, you know, here you are, you're retired from teaching, you're enjoying your life, your parents live nearby, and it seems to be things were, you know, going well. And then you start to see some red flags with your parents. What were the red flags you started to notice? Well, when when I'd go to visit, I noticed, well, my mom always kept a little diary because my dad was starting to show signs of dementia. Mm -hmm. So things like he'd put things in the dishwasher or there'd be things missing or he'd get up in the middle of the night and want to go, you know, he lived on a farm. So they were going thrashing. The thrashing crew was coming and it was four in the morning and he'd be dressed and ready to go. And um, so she was telling us some of these things and she wasn't sleeping well and she had some health problems and so it just started just escalating and when you when you do keep kind of a journal so I do tell people you know um, start documenting some of those things that you're noticing and you'd be surprised at how many things that you will see that are out of place when uh, uh, when my uh, siblings and uh, groups of us our family would get together uh, everyone seemed to think things were okay but when I would visit them personally, you know, just by myself, uh, I would notice things. So sometimes, you know, there were almost like cover-ups to make it look like things were okay, but really they weren't. In your opinion, why do you think people wait till there's a catastrophe to, you know, when it comes to a loved one or, or if someone dies when we're in a crisis? Why, why do people wait so long to do anything when, when, they, when they start to see these red flags? Well, I, I think you think, oh, it's nothing, really you know, or it'll pass or, you know, maybe we'll kind of, you know, deal with it when it comes and everybody kind of carries on their life. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't really want to talk about any of those things. And it's not really a dinner time conversation. And so even if you bring up the subject of aging or death, some some people are very uncomfortable with that. So I think, too, um, it's just an attitude that eh, whatever happens, happens. And um, I, I wanted to say to you, too, that um, I know in your book, you you talk about, you allude to um, avoiding the family fights. And, and I thought that was interesting because when I was interviewing one of the funeral directors, he said, oh, my word. He said, you can't believe the lack of communication between family members. Like one says, no, dad didn't want that or mom, mom wasn't like that. 
or that sort of thing. And um, so that was really interesting. So yeah. sometimes, you know, our perceptions are, are very different. What we think is important, maybe other, others don't think it is so. I think it comes mm -hmm. down to the conversations. And I always yes. say that conversations do matter. In my case, when it came to my parents, we noticed that mm -hmm. there was something wrong with my dad. Um, we had a sort of a family um, intervention. And mm -hmm. you know, I tried to have the conversations with him. And I and I, I talk a little bit about it in the book. I remember, you know, we would have the conversation with him. I came home and I said to my partner, Susan, I said, um, the guy that I was talking to wasn't my dad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it comes to having those, as you said before, uncomfortable conversations, how do you suggest that people start to get to get started? What do you say? Um, and what if the parents resist? Yeah, you, you start asking mm -hmm. questions about to them. Well, I th I think you know I mean it depends like you say on the relationship too. Um, if you're a fairly close family, which which we were thankfully, it was easy to talk about some like bring up some of those things like hey you know um you know mom and dad have you taken care of a few of the details you know in case something happened and honestly my mom when I was a small when I was small, when I was a teenager, I'm the oldest of six kids. Mm -hmm. My parents would um, would go away for uh, conventions and things for my dad's business. And one day there was, uh, my mom handed me a yellow, I actually have a copy of it, but she handed me this yellow full scat paper and it said, do not open unless there's an emergency and better to be prepared is what she wrote on it. Right. And it was basically all of the things Things that needed to be taken care of in case something happened well I guess when you start you know so we were we were open and honest but for the people that don't have that connection I would say I would start making it, it uh, like the I statements I'm concerned about you mom or I'm concerned about you and dad you know it seems to be I'm noticing some things here um, I'm noticing that you know you're having trouble getting the groceries and um, or you know whatever it is whatever the concern is or mm -hmm. your health or, and make it about you worrying about them because the minute I think you place it and say look I noticed that you're you know leaving a mess when you cook and you almost burned the house down um, is is it almost feels like a direct attack so I, I would say you know just starting to uh, make light of it too you know um uh, you know that uh, yeah just just getting those conversations going in any way you can and friends too if you're having trouble I always tell people do they have good friends have a little conversation with their friends and say you know we've noticed some things maybe we should talk about those or maybe you should talk to your daughter or son about that so yeah but what happens if there's a little bit of resistance saying hey maybe okay. you're over you're overstepping your bound you know, I, I'm I'm the parent. How dare you, you know, bring these up? I'm fine. You just worry about what's going on in your life. Well, that's where, again, I said, I think I would bring it back and say, my concern is for you. And I, I okay, so for example, my mom was, uh, she was pulling herself up in the washroom from the towel rack to get, uh, you know, and when she'd get out of the tub and we were like, mom, what would happen if you fell? Like, you know, dad, dad couldn't dad wouldn't know where to phone how what do you what would you do so can I maybe even give them some scenarios like ask them or even say 
what are your wishes for end of life? Were you planning on a funeral or, you know, did you, right? So I think it's asking questions too, right? And yeah. getting there. That's really important. That whole dignity, instead of telling, um, telling them it's uh, even though, you know, like I say, you feel like you're doing it in their best interests, but you have to be, it's almost like I say, a gentle persuasion, but, um, but uh, uh, I guess it's critical, right? It's, it's about that you're concerned. Yeah. yeah. I know there was a time in the book, you talk about, you hit the wall, you oh, were yeah. moving your dad to a, a facility. At the same time, your mom was in the a hospice battling mm -hmm. cancer. What, what, tell me, talk a little bit about what that time was like for you. And how do you suggest people get through tough times like this? Well, I guess the biggest thing was, um, you know, I felt like, you know, the Lone Ranger, I guess, right? Because I'm the oldest and I was close by and it was easier for me. And I had just retired, as you said, but I had a lot of other things going on in my life at that time too, with some uh, losses and, um, you know, so it wasn't, it didn't feel like it, that was the only thing. I think it was just sort of like the the straw that broke the camel's back and and it was overwhelming and frustrating. And I guess, well, I have a faith, I'm a Christian, and, mm -hmm. and I did a lot of praying, and I had a lot of support from my family and my church, and I think that's the, that's the biggest thing to get through, is to know that it isn't going to last forever, that you are going to make it through. Um, I taught middle school for 38 years, and um, a lot of people said, how did you, you know, how did you survive? Well, I'm still living. I'm still, I'm still good. And my son is actually a middle school teacher, but nonetheless, I just said, well, I would just take each day as it came. And, you know, cause every day was so different. You couldn't predict anything. Mm -hmm. And I think um, when you become overwhelmed with thinking you're going to fix the world or you're going to take it all on and you just say, nope, and just give it up and just say, Lord, I'm, I can't do this right through my own strength. So he, he sends people to help you along the way and you do get through it. And then you write a book and then you look back and go, Hey, I could help other people go through this too. Right. And then you end up on a podcast talking about it. See, see. Oh, there you go. See, there see. you go. Meet, meeting wonderful people who have been through similar experiences. Well, it's, it's, I, I get what you where you're coming from because I had the same sort of you know experiences, um, right? And it and it comes mm -hmm. to that point where, uh, and I ask you, when did it hit you that you were now the caregiver? Because in your eyes, being the oldest oh, yeah. child, you you see mom and dad as mom and dad, and at some mm -hmm. point, and I always say to friends, and they're starting to go through it as well, is there's going to come a point where that yeah. change in life is that you become the parent. Yeah. You know what needs to be done because they can't take care of themselves. When did it hit you? Um, I guess, well, my mom was, it was, she was, uh, had cancer for the third time. She had a breast cancer twice and um, her third bout was bone cancer. And, and she started having some issues with, uh, with her throat and all, all sorts of things. Anyway, she ended up in the hospital. And we realized my dad could not stay by himself. And so what we, I, I moved in with him, um, you know, to make sure that, that I could get up to the hospital or take him up to see mom and, and, and be back there. And my brother and my, and a couple of my sisters helped out too. We'd all take turns 
everybody would go stay there uh, in the in for you know with my dad. And then we just started saying, you know, we can't keep doing this. We we have a family and we have a life and you you can't just suddenly like we don't know how long this is going to be. So when we brought mom home from the hospital, we just decided, look, we've we've got to make some changes. What are going some of those changes going to be? And um you know, being a teacher, I guess, you know, you sit down and go, okay, here's a column, here's three columns. These are the three scenarios. Which one is going to work for us? And then you start investigating and you start resource, you know, looking at resources and researching. And then you, you, you know, collaboratively come together and say, this is going to work. And I think that's a big, big piece of it. Is it okay. When you're having those conversations with the siblings, is it smooth? Is it is it is everybody <laughs> rowing in the same direction, or is there always a little bit of deception or a dis, uh, you know dissension whereby yeah. somebody's not going to agree with some of the assessment? Like, oh, it's mom and dad; they're going to be okay, or maybe you're overreacting. You know, yeah. maybe we're being a bit too hasty. Where they, mm -hmm. they may not see, like you being nearby, the day to day deterioration right. of who, of, of who, who the who your parents are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, fortunately, like I said, we were really close. And I think part of being a caregiver and that that part of it, too, and you know that as well, maybe from being an executor, is to keep everybody informed. So it's not like, hey, surprise, you know, um, I think when you start noticing things. And so what I would do, because I have a sister in Vancouver, another sister in northern Alberta, and, and my brothers lived, you know, close by, but the, you know, sharing that information. And I think just, yes, there's always going to be different opinions and different ways of approaching things. Um, and, uh, but I think it's working, uh, you know, like I used to say to, in teaching to parents at parent-teacher interviews, it's not about me and it's not about you, it's about the student. And, you know, it's a triad. So I always used to say, look, it's about our mom and dad and we are the support. So what we need to do is remember that and always work to their benefits. So, and, and always including them in the conversation. I mean, my mom was, was um, always worried about my dad and was always wanting to make sure everything was taken care of. And so I think, you know, and people do ask this a lot and I'm sure you get it too. What should I do about this situation? And I say, every situation is unique unto its own, you know, um, whatever is happening. And so I think you do what's best for for everyone involved. It's got to be a win-win. Yeah. So. You, you quote in the book, Rosalind Carter, former lady of the United States of America. <clears throat> there are only four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregivers. What does it mean to be a caregiver to you? Has it changed you in any way? Uh, I think the two biggest, um, I guess, qualities would be empathy and compassion, which, of course, encompasses love. And I think in our society today, that whole piece of caring and kindness and so on. Um, I mean, we saw it during the pandemic where, you know, people, elderly people in care homes and people left to die alone. I can't even imagine. I am so grateful and thankful that my parents passed before that time but I guess the biggest thing too is um, I'm, I'm part of a simply compassion advocacy society mm -hmm. and that's another one another quality I think that people should be considering is being advocates for uh, the people that can't do it on their own 
so as a caregiver, I am, you know, I'm looking after my grandson now. I mean, he couldn't survive if there wasn't somebody there to look after him and, you know, with our children as well. So it's the same thing. I mean, they're, if they're incapable of, of, uh, of helping themselves, we have to be the voices that, or the people that come in and give them that assistance and doing it with love. You know, I mean, I've seen people that have been downright mean with their uh, with their parents and or their children, and I think no, no, no. This is about loving kindness. How do you show that? Even that, though you do get that, frustrated, <laughs> that meanness and kindness is that because they don't know how to to make that change. That they're mad with their parents for some reason. Yeah. That you, you, you're sick, and and again, it comes back to making it about them. Um, yes, and, and mm -hmm. I've seen I've seen that a lot as well. Is that Okay. Well, I get, and I, at the beginning, when my dad was going through what he was going, I did get a little bit of angry with him. But at some point, I had to realize, you know, ha mm -hmm. having got that inter intervention, that this is not who he is not. Yeah, who it's not was. him. It's not his fault. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not. So and you say the first steps in being a caregiver is being being organized. Why is this so important? And what, is it, what does it entail to be organized? Well, I really feel that uh, every every situation is different. So the needs are different. So I think it's sitting down and, and determining what are the needs. So perhaps a family, um, you know, the, the mother is in good health and is able to care for the father as long as she can. But you might have a situation like recently, a girlfriend of mine, her, her dad had a stroke. He ended up in the hospital. Uh, the mom got very ill and they're both in the hospital. Well, suddenly life has changed very drastically for them. So their situation is, of course, quite different. They both had to get, you know, now they're both looking at care homes where they could be together. So I, I guess that's the biggest thing is getting organized in terms of, uh, you know, making sure you have documents, making sure you have um uh, all all of the paperwork in place uh, that you've started looking at the future, you're looking at what are your, you know, having these conversations and so on. And I, I do, I devote an entire chapter in my book to being organized, trying to explain how the, all of those pieces that really like a puzzle need to, to be in place before you can, um, you know, move forward. Yeah, I know you talk about a will knowing about the you know the healthcare directives knowing where all those things are which is what i talk about in my book as well how important it is and also to know yes. where all that important information is kept um because i always say mm -hmm. that yeah you can't, you can't have a meaningful conversation when somebody when they're on a ventilator so you need to have those conversations in advance yes uh, to know where all those important uh, things are. and that's one of the great things that i i loved about your book is that you Again, because it's coming. Well, thank you. Nobody is nobody is trained for this, or as as children. In our eyes, we'll always be oh, children because that's our parents. Yeah. We're not. Nobody told us about that. Exactly. We just saw mom and dad, and that's that's them. We and <laughs> and that's the tough part is that you know you again we yeah. become the caregivers, and and that's it's a difficult transition, and especially if it's coming all at once. It's, it's hard and you need to, to be organized. Yes. Now, most parents want to stay in their home forever. And uh, a lot of times it's not possible. I can relate to that. Once my dad was in a long-term care situation because of his dementia, my mom was at home. We were making arrangements that she could go move with my sister. 
And I remember vividly driving her to go to the grocery store that one day and bringing it up. Well, she started crying and it broke my heart and I never brought it up again. So she you know, was home by herself all the time and we always checked on her, but it would have been better if she was, you know, moved in with my sister, but it, she wanted to stay in the house and it broke my heart. I couldn't do it. So the conversation never came up again. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about in your, in your uh, book, you, you have a story about a friend of yours named Trish. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Trish, uh, her mom and her, stepdad were adamant again same thing you know that they were not going to leave they were going to stay and uh similar to what i just mentioned before um the, the her stepdad started showing signs of dementia and i think just through conversation they realized that they were isolated that the kids weren't getting to them that they're you know again just their safety i think was the biggest piece of it and so they eventually um you know uh talked them into it and and part of it, too, that I suggest is, is um, why not try it for six months? My parents actually did that. They moved into a senior care facility when they were, um, I think, you know, uh, probably about 10 years before they were probably ready. But my mom, my dad was quite happy there because, I mean, he met some other people. And they, you know, it was it was OK. But it drove my mom crazy. She said having the same conversation at supper every day was just about driving her nuts. So they they ended up trying it for six months. It didn't work. So they got it. They moved into a condo. But, you know, Trisha's parents are um, like her stepdad. He ended up going into the same facility and going into a dementia uh, wing so that she moved into her independent, um, you know, uh, condo in the same complex so that they were able to be together, but he got the care that he needed. And I, I think that's the, the biggest piece of it is, is try, you know what, if it doesn't get, let's just try it, try it for six months, you know, green eggs and ham, right? If it doesn't work, you can always, you know, move back. We can rent out your place for six months or, you know, there are always alternatives. I think people think, oh my goodness, that's the only solution. No, there are plenty, you know, so you've got to uh, hone it to suit what works for you. Yeah. So in your opinion, what should caregivers be looking for when it comes to looking for facilities for their parents? Oh, boy, that's always interesting. <laughs> There's a whole list in one of my chapters. But just to touch on a few, the biggest thing, I think, is finance, uh, you know, for for the moment, because you realize, oh, well, mom and dad can't live there because it's too expensive or whatever. And then that narrows your choices down. Um, some other things would be like... Um, probably what is the what are the workers like I, I always think that's important the personnel so going there at different times when you're visiting the the homes and so on and what is the facility like is it like is it clean is there enough room what activities do they have um, there's just so many things um, you know looking at um, uh, what else was I saying oh probably just is it meeting the needs of your parents so if uh, you know they need more care uh, and I know when my dad was in the one in town, I would go over every day and just just checking and seeing how things were and so on. And there were some there were some concerns there that I did bring forward to um, to the facility. And, you know, so you've got to do your homework is basically it. Well, sometimes you have that luxury because you can see yep. the deterioration. Mm-hmm. But other times it could come on you. It could be a stroke, it could be a heart attack, something sudden happens and yeah. you know they're in the hospital you, one minute you find yourself in the hospital 
and now they can't go back home. So now everything is sped up in terms of trying to find a facility. What are some of the, maybe the two or three basic things you should be looking for, you know, when, when you're faced with a, a quick change of a venue that you're going to need for your parents? Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know, um, you know, about Ontario or Quebec or Eastern Canada, but I know in Alberta, we have something called a caseworker. The minute, you know, there's um, there's someone that will, you know, basically work with the healthcare system yeah. to make yeah. sure that there are some viable options. And then that's when you'll have your meeting and you'll make those choices. And I also know um, that, you know, if they need to be in the hospital, you know, I mean, it used to be, I don't know, maybe things have changed in the last couple of years, but they would be able to stay there until you acquired a facility for them. Another thing uh, I know, um, you know, there's lots of prayers because I know my mom was a miracle. It was like we needed something in two days and within two days there was a so, you know, it's just putting your network out there to, you know, find out what is available. And that's why I think like you and I, I guess, you know, in terms of our, our books is about pre-planning. You know, if you have an idea or, you know, like even, I mean, uh, you know, whatever age you are, like once you're, once you're past 60, maybe start looking at some of those things because like you say, if you have a stroke and you can't speak, at least if you've had some you know, conversations or you've written some things down, your wishes could be honored. Just touch back a little bit more what um, the importance of being organized. I know you talk yes. about three legal documents that you recommend be in place to make it easier on the caregiver. What would those be? Well, the will, obviously, um, you know, and that, of course, is, is you know, the will of your parents parents what or the person that is making the will in terms of anything assets and uh allocations to of their estates then there's of course the personal directive which is so so important when you are making like medical decisions so like you say if someone has a stroke and they're incapable of uh i know my aunt ended up uh she she couldn't speak so i mean her personal directive was her voice and and of course, the power of attorney. So uh, things with finances, um, you know, documents, that sort of thing that need to be taken care of. And, and again, like for banking and finances, that's really important because a lot of people just think, oh, yeah, dad's in the hospital. I'll just, you know, or there's expenses. I'll just go to his account. And no, no it doesn't work like that. So I think it's really important that you become knowledgeable about many of these things that are going to take place or perhaps take place. And so that you know that when, you know, uh, like your book, executive, like I learned so much being an executor. I mean, uh, yeah, it was, it was a huge learning curve. So it's the um, have, having the paperwork and, and understanding, it could also be when you, you know, when we talked earlier about those red flags, if you see them slowing down, you need to be thinking about, do I know if there's a will? Do I know where the will is? Do I know the power of attorney? Do I have all of those things that if something was to happen, I'd be able to to access them as, as the caregiver? But then again, if there's mm -hmm. nothing in place, then you're going to have to speed up that sort of process in case something else does uh, come up later, down, later on down the road. So with mm -hmm. everything that you went through, and it's quite evident and it's, it's, you know, gratifying that 
you want to share your experience of what you went through mm-hmm. where, where, where did the idea come for the for the book well I had just retired and as I said I was I was becoming the caregiver for both parents and I started looking for different uh um, books or information and somebody would say well go on this site or oh go to the library or try this and everything was all over and I like to be organized and I was like no there's got to be like a book well I found I actually found one similar to kind of what I was looking for but it was it was out of the states and of course the rules and laws down there are very different from Canada right. and I just thought I think I need to write something a compiles all of the information that pertains to how do you get ready for end of life and so that's when I started putting things together and my story I don't know um, one of my um, the testimonials on the back from one of my uh, Dick Edwards Uh, I was actually in Palm Springs sitting in or sitting I was floating in the pool one day because (laughs) I was uh, you know I went down there to get a break and and write and, and do some research. Uh, yeah, the best, well, the best well, place to do research is from a pool. Absolutely, in Palm Springs. Got a new idea for your it, book. From it your makes trip. total makes total sense. Uh, go ahead. Anyhow, he had, he had just written a book called "Mom, Dad, We Need to Talk," and it was amazing. We got just talking, and he said, "Yeah, you're you're on the right track here." And and he helped me a little bit with some information and, and whatnot. And, and it's amazing. All, everything started falling into place for resources. And I mean, he spoke all over the world about that topic, getting ready. And then I started gathering information. I started reading, I started pulling things off the internet and, and Trish, my friend started gathering resources. And uh, so I just thought, no, there's got to be one, one book that I can hand people and say, here, this is a starting point. Right. So through all the the research, you know, um, you know, lying in the pool in, in uh, Palm, <laughs> Palm Springs, what did you learn from writing the book? And did you did you learn anything new? Um, yeah, I learned because in my book, I do a fact at the end of every chapter. I just share. Did you know? And, and there are actually facts. And I was I was blown away by for example, how much uh, money is left in bank accounts that the government claims because nobody has access to them. So somebody, you know, um, another thing I was, some of the astronomical uh, costs of of things, you know, for people living in a facility and the stories, I think that just resonated with me. Um, I talked to a lot of people and I was absolutely blown away by um, just how similar the stories were, but how different they were. But we were all, you know, searching for the right answers in terms of trying to make sure that, you know, our parents were taken care of in a respectful and a loving way. And that, um, yeah, I guess. So, and, so, so those stories that came up, is it because people knew you were writing a book or is just, you know, talking to friends and they say, oh, my goodness, Hey, what's going on with you, Lori? And you might say something and then that would trigger somebody else. Yes. Where how did yes. the stories come to you? Yeah, I think it's a combination. Like you say, it was, yeah, once you started talking about it, because and I'm sure you notice that too when you start talking about um, you know, uh it, it's all, oh, well, you know what? This, you know, and then yeah, and it just uh yeah, there's a lot of people going through similar circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty so, much it. 
So at the end of going, reading your book, getting the book, and I suggest people go out and get it, is Thanks. what do you hope people walk away with? Um, I hope people walk away with um, with I, something that I used, two words I used last year called patient endurance. You are going to be going through this time with your parents, but be patient and loving as you go through it, because life is very short. And when you understand that you have, we need to have quality time to laugh and share um, with your loved ones. They aren't going to be here forever. So how are you going to make those last days uh, beautiful? And I guess just putting yourself in somebody's shoes. I mean, when I get elderly, I keep bugging my kids. I'm going to come live with you. Oh, no, mom, that's not happening. But right, I, I boys. But... Really, they say that after <laughs> the, after what you after they see what you've done for your parents, how you care for them. They need to yeah. look at the parents and say, oh, we're next up. That's what they should yeah. expect to happen. Well, I hope so. I know they will. They'll take care of me. But but I guess the thing is that, you know, when you think about just doing life, you know, just loving and it won't last forever. And the golden rule, I think, you know, just uh, let's treat each other the way we should be wanting to be treated. So, yeah. So those are your final thoughts. That's what you want to share. Yeah, I think so. And I think, yeah, just um yeah, just just keep uh, plugging along, and and it, and it isn't forever. I mean, I guess that's the thing. You know, when you're in the middle, when you're in the middle of the mud, it's hard to see. And but you know, you you do walk through it. You walk away, and you become stronger, and you become, uh, you know, more compassionate too. And and I guess too, just uh, the thing that I have loved about it. A lot of people have come to me, and I'm sure for you too, and said. Thank you so much. I just, it has really helped me. Or I've had people say, oh, I wish I would have had this as I was going through it with my parents. So I think that is reaffirming to know that you are helping someone. And that's that's what it's about. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all going through it. Uh, I've been through it because both my parents are gone. But I see yes. my, my friends having to go through it now and they're going through their journey and what you've done is gratifying helping other people to, to let them know that they're not alone um if yes. one of, if people want to get in touch with you or get the book where can they get it well it is on the freezing website and and it's interesting you're the first one that has said we can do this adult children and aging parents planning for success is most people just say don't you didn't you write a book called we can do this well there is one but it's not my book but um so well, Freeze and Press, I have it on Amazon and, of course, in a number of bookstores around, uh, you know, around, around town. And, so, all, so all good online book retailers. Do you also have a website? Is there anything that you can yes, find? Yes, I do. Website? Yes. So that is. So toot your uh, horn, Lori. Yeah, it's just lorimorales.com.com. That's it. All right. That's, yeah. I know people say, that's confusing. Why did you do that? And I said, well, I think because I guess it was my first Book, I wanted it to be official, which is my official name, Lorraine, but I also go by Lori. So, mm -hmm. okay. Well, Lori, Lorraine Morales, author of We Can Do This Adult Children and Aging Parents Planning for Success. I thank you so much for being here on the Executor Help podcast. And hopefully, we'll have you on because um, this is a, a subject that's never going away. And that's it's going to be, as we all get older, we're going to need more help and we're going to need great resources such as yourself. So I thank you so very much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me and best wishes with your book as well. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.